Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Ooh, is it nice in the Bay Area or what this week, people? Just like it always is. It's warm. It's temperate. We've got some sun. But we've also got a nice little breeze. And I am feeling especially grateful for the weather this week after last week's historic heat wave. But let's be real. That heat wave isn't the last. These will become more frequent in the future. And so we're going to have to meet this challenge again. It got so hot in the Bay Area last week that we almost had rolling blackouts throughout the state. We just barely dodged that this time around. But I think it's worth talking about what went down last week, if this is going to be our normal. Today, what happened during last week's historic heat wave? Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. It got really, really, really hot. Now, it depends on where you live. Dan Brecky is an editor and reporter for KQED. If you were someplace right along the coast, it was warmer than usual, but not punishing. It was really when you got inland, away from the bay, that you started to see some crazy stuff. A bunch of all-time temperature records were set. Santa Rosa, 115 degrees. San Jose, when it was 109. Livermore was 116. They set their all-time record last Tuesday, and then they tied it the next day, 116 degrees. I mean, what do we know, Dan, about what caused this historic heat? It's a weather phenomenon called a heat dome. And what a heat dome is, is a center of high pressure. You know, the air is actually physically at higher pressure, and it will sink. And there are a number of things related to climate change that climate scientists believe make these heat domes worse. Mm. One of them is the fact that some part of that heat energy in a heat dome would go to evaporating water out of the ground. But since we've been in a drought for so long, there's not much water to evaporate at ground level. And so that just heats up the ground more and and adds to the heat effect. 
And the other thing that really distinguishes this, uh, other than the extreme heat, for instance, you know, day after day after day, most places in the Central Valley were close to 110 for more than a week. And before it was really hot up here, it was very hot in Southern California. So it was the duration of this, as well as the extremity of the heat we were seeing, that really made it remarkable. And I know that as a result of this heat, a lot of people were really worried that we would see mass power shutoffs. And I actually remember this happening in 2020 when it was also really hot and people across the state lost power with almost no warning. Can you remind us of why people were so concerned about this happening again last week? When we have these very high temperatures, we're going to have lots of electrical demand. And it's a simple matter of people wanting to keep cool. And so what happened last week, and again, this is something you could see coming, we were going to be near our power system's limits in terms of providing power. And when that happens, there's a danger that the grid could become unstable. And if it becomes unstable, then you could have uncontrolled blackouts that could affect millions of people. So as a safety measure, the California Independent System Operator, which is the agency that uh, manages our grid, will direct power utilities. They actually organize their territory into these blocks, and they can turn everybody in a block off. They call, call them uh, rotating outage blocks. That way, you sort of step back from the edge of demand overrunning supply, and you keep the grid stable. Last Tuesday, September 6th, was really the highest demand day. It set an all-time record. And on that day, the grid operator could see that there was a certain point in the evening that we were getting very close to the point where we could have something like an uncontrolled outage. Mm. So they told all the utilities at that point, get ready. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, so we got really close to rolling outages. How did we prevent that from happening? So one of the things that the California Independent System Operator will do is they'll issue these flex alerts. And a flex alert is simply an advisory or a plea to consumers to conserve electricity. And it's especially during, during a special vulnerable time of day. In fact, uh, this heat wave was so severe and so long that they had 10 flex alert days in a row. You could actually see the power demand drop at 4 p.m. when the flex alert took, a, hmm. took effect. It didn't drop enough on that uh, Tuesday, September 6th. So the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services uh, took an extraordinary step uh, just before 6 o'clock. They sent out a statewide wireless emergency alert. These are these alerts you can get on your cell phone. Went out to 27 million people. Basically said, please conserve now. We're right on the edge. If you watch the power curve at that point, it just plummeted after that uh, wireless emergency alert went out. It was kind of crazy. 
The practical effect of it was it restored the safety margin that the independent system operator needs to sort of uh, reliably operate the grid. In that moment, that safety margin had been disappearing, and all of a sudden it was back. And it was enough to get through the rest of the evening. I mean, I want to step back, Dan, and talk about why this problem even exists. Why has there been barely enough power to go around during these heat waves? It has to do with the state's response to climate change. California has adopted a policy of really trying to aggressively cut its um, greenhouse gas emissions. One of the main things the state has done is to adopt a policy to um, encourage the use of renewable energy, Mm -hmm. solar power and wind power. There are some others. At the same time, it's been retiring its dirtier forms of energy. You know, all the power operators in the state are actually capable of generating quite a bit of power, but the available capacity may not be keeping pace with demand. There's a limitation to solar power that's pretty obvious. You don't get solar power when it's dark, right? When the sun's down. At this time of year, when we just had this heat wave, you can see that the supply starts to drop off at 4 p.m. What else happens at 4 p.m.? Demand goes up. People are coming home from work. It's the hottest part of the day, right? There's a, a delay in the way homes heat up, buildings heat up. So you want more power to run your air conditioner. You may be cooking. You still want the place to be cool. So you turn things up. That's a bad combo. So that creates this, this squeeze that we experience uh, on the really hot days, late in the afternoon into early in the evening. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the August 2020 outages we had before, the rotating blackouts. That happened at exactly that time of day. I don't imagine this is going to be our last heat wave, Dan. What do we learn from this heat wave about what needs to happen in order to avoid rotating power shutoffs again next time? I mean, it sounds like we have this sort of bigger problem where we need renewable power because of climate change, and we also need more of it. And also, it has to be stable, especially on hot days. So we have that sort of system problem, but... What else did we learn about how to avoid this from happening next time? There are different approaches, probably that all have to be used. One is to build additional generating capacity, right? Just have more solar farms, more wind turbines, and other you know, renewable sources of energy, more batteries that uh, we can use to get us through these really hot days. At the same time, we're going to need more conservation. We're going to need more efficiency in things like our uh, appliances. And then we're also going to have to figure out ways of what is called demand management, moving uh, power demand to different times of day away from that peak period. And so one example of this is they're telling people to pre-cool their homes. Go ahead early in the day. Crank up your AC. The, the, the thought is that, you know, if your home is somewhat insulated, 
um, you can turn the AC up, say, to 78 degrees or even higher later in the day, and you still have a livable environment inside, right? So you've shifted that demand for air conditioning power to early in the day when we don't have any problem supplying that electricity. I mean, what do you hope happens, Dan, in order to fix this problem? Like, how do we live with this in the Bay Area? It's kind of hard, I feel like, as individuals to think about what we can really do, except maybe turn off our lamps or turn our ACs down, but we can't make it less hot. (laughs) So I'm curious how you're thinking about that. How do you, what do you hope happens? Well, I think, you know, in the short run that we take all of these signs that we're seeing very seriously and and modify our behavior based on that. One thing that people can do is they can install solar power right on their homes. You know, California has a, a home solar power program. You know, the government has really invested a lot in terms of tax credits for people to do that. Both the state government and the federal government have. We need to keep doing stuff like that. And we need to make those resources available to everybody. And these are policy discussions that are underway. But, you know, the, you know, the truth is we're going to see something like this again sooner rather than later. I mean, what do you think is the best case scenario for us, given that climate change is happening and that we have this energy challenge and that there will probably be more extreme heat in our future? My generation has uh, sort of emerged from an age where we didn't really think about, we were starting to think about the limitations of our activity in terms of the impact on the environment and the entire planet. Your generation is gonna be here after my generation is gone. Not that we're in a hurry to leave, but but I just wonder what you think the best case scenario is. Hmm. I guess the best case scenario is there's more urgency to to figure it out and then also um, a greater understanding among all of us that we all have a role to play in, you know, making sure people have power and keeping our climate clean. Yeah, I mean, I think those are good things. And I do see some positive steps in that direction. I mean, some of the stuff we do is just buying time, right? So the state just now uh, passed a law that will allow Diablo Canyon, the PG&E's nuclear power plant down on the Central Coast, to stay open for at least another five years past its planned 2025 shutdown date. Well, okay, so that buys us a little time. What are we going to do with that time? Another thing the state just did that I think could be incredibly positive if this stands up, if this regulation stands up, no more sales of new gasoline-powered cars uh, starting in 2035. All right, well, that does raise another question, which is where you're going to get the power for the electric cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it going to be natural (laughs) gas still, or are we going to have something cleaner? Those are signs of urgency. The state has adopted some ambitious climate goals in terms of cutting greenhouse gas emissions. Those are all good steps, but I think you're right that people talk about it being an emergency and 
they generally really don't react to it like it's an emergency until it's 110 out. So we need to do better with that. Dan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the invitation. That was Dan Brecky, an editor and reporter for KQED. This 40-minute conversation with Dan was cut down and edited by Alan Montecilio. Maria Esquinka produced this one and added the music. You can get in touch with our team on Twitter at The Bay KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.